Hey, good morning. <clears throat> Love singing those songs and uh, this time of year for sure. This is a, a first for me and maybe you, um, a Christmas Advent message from Revelation. Grab your Bible and uh, if there's seatbelts on the chairs, fasten them and turn with me to Revelation 12. Revelation 12, uh, you're definitely going to need your Bible or your Bible app or whatever you got at the ready, um, I want to read the first six verses and keep your place there because I eventually want to take a look at the next four too. So eventually, we're going to look at Revelation 12, 1 to 10, but for right now, let me read to you uh, the first six verses in Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, 10 horns, and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I'll see you later. Hey, Christmas is a fantastic story. And I think, in many ways, it's more fantastic and wild than even that. And that's pretty wild, that story. It is, without a doubt, the most fantastic thing that's ever happened in the history of human beings on this planet, where God impregnates a teenage girl, and eventually she goes on to give birth to a God-man. You know, I think that's wilder than any science fiction a science fiction writer could ever think of. Every time I say that statement, by the way, that God got a teenage girl pregnant and she gave birth to a God man, every time I say that in front of a bunch of junior high kids, they just like go, no, that didn't really happen. You know, but it did. It's a wild, fantastic story, it's incredible. And there's certainly no event on this planet where more has been written or more sermons preached than the story of Christmas. And it seems to me that Advent is an important time to kind of come to grips with what the meaning of it all really is. And I would suggest that to get the full weight and meaning of what Christmas fully is, you got to look way beyond the events that happened that night, as important as they were in Bethlehem long ago. I would suggest that you need to look way back, way back, even before creation. In fact, 
I would suggest to really understand the full weight and meaning of Christmas, you got to look all the way back before the beginning of time. And, and that is kind of an impossible thing to do for us finite humans. You know, how do you come to grips with what happened before the beginning of time? Or what will happen when time is no more into eternity? I mean, those are, those are hard things to try to get a handle on. But fortunately for us, God has sort of peeled back a little window, both in terms of what will come someday, way beyond when everything wraps up here in time and in this, this space. And he peels back a little window to take a peek at what happened way back before everything was created, before even the beginning of time. And those stories, those open little peeks through windows are compiled in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Now, I don't know about you, but I've pretty much spent a lifetime of trying to ignore Revelation. You know what I mean? You, you flip on the TV, you run into preachers and people, and they kind of come across like they, they got it all figured out, what the deal is with all these wild stories in Revelation. And I believe it's all true, and either it did or is going to happen for sure, but it just seems to me there's enough in the rest of the Bible to kind of worry about and grapple with before worrying about that. You know what I mean? So this is the first time, not the first time I've read Revelation, but the first time I spent a week really digging into a few verses here. Fortunately for us, Revelation exists. And of course, it's from the pen, the hand of John. And John, as you know, was an old man at this point. He was banished to an island. He's walking around doing whatever you do on a banished island. And, and, and he started to have these visions. And they were wild. They were wild. And fortunately, again for us, he wrote them down and compiled them. Because these weren't just, just like crazy ideas and visions, but these were from God. And, and they're an important punctuation mark at the end of Scripture. And so he wrote them down. Most of the events and the visions that John recorded will happen long after, long after we're gone. They will happen way off in the future. And, and John knew that. And it's interesting how he wrote in terms of future tense, present tense, not too much past tense. But even the few events that he records that happened long ago, like this one that I just read and another one that we're about to read, he writes them in the present tense. So there are a few stories in Revelation that happened long ago. And, and Revelation 12 has a couple of them. Now the actors of these events, and this one I just read, are incredible. In the first one, verses 1 to 6, there's a pregnant woman. And she is huge. She's so enormous that she stood on the moon, John records, like you would stand on a, on a table or a pedestal or something like that. She stood on the moon, and John records that her clothes uh, consisted of the sun. It wasn't like the sun. It was literally like a sundress that she was kind of wearing, and it shone forever. And on her head was this enormous crown, and on the crown were seven stars. And they weren't just twinkling little things, but they were literally 
John records, it was a fantastic sight, this woman was. Now, there's a lot of thoughts, and I read a bunch about all the symbolism of, of all of that. And, and, you know, take your pick, a lot of different opinions. But suffice it to say, the deal with the woman is that she was marvelous. She was, she was uh, amazing, and she represented something super important, very consequential. Not in the version I read, but maybe in your version, uh, the word vision or sign is translated portent. That this woman was a portent. Now, I always like words that I never use. And I doubt you use the word portent in your speech this past week. A portent is, is something um, that is a sign that points to something that really happened or will happen. Um, it's, it's something important. It's something that, that will have great, great consequence. Now, this woman um, is important. She's not Mary, but she points to what Mary one day would become and what she would do. She's like, in a sense, Mary is, a reflection of this foretelling of this woman. Because ultimately, this cosmic woman represents God's delivery vehicle of his ultimate response to evil in the universe. And this is cosmic stuff. This isn't even to earth yet. Verses 1 to 6 and then 7 down to 9 are referring to events that happened in heaven way back before the beginning of time. So you have the woman. And you also have the dragon. The dragon is another portent, something that, that points to something that is, is yet to come, a sign. This dragon is giant, huge. He's red, and he breathes fire and smoke. He has seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on each head. He has a giant tail that's sweeping back and forth, and at one point sweeps out a third of the stars in the universe, and they all fall down to earth. Now, I have no idea what that's about. You know what I mean? But again, suffice it to say, this, this dragon was something else. I, on Wednesday, uh, late afternoon, I asked my five-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Jackson, I walked him through this story and had him take a bunch of crins and draw it. I wish I, wish I could show it to you. You know, it's quite a sight of what you have here in verses 1 to 6. But even a five and a half year old kind of gets his head around it, you know. And so there you have it. This picture of ultimate good and ultimate evil about to face it off. The dragon was ultimate evil, ultimately. He was, he was Satan. He was Lucifer. He was the devil. And so you have a stage set for the ultimate cataclysmic cosmic battle of all times. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I mean, it's about to get it on up there in heaven, and it's thwarted. Why? Because God wasn't ready for it to go down yet. God is always in control of events, even when it doesn't look like it. Even when evil seems 
to have the leading upper hand. God decides when it's going to go down, and now is not the time. So the baby's born, and the dragon's licking his chops, and the baby is zipped up to another place in heaven, gone. And the dragon looks at the woman, and she takes off to a place appointed by God where she would be safe for an exact set number of days. I don't know what the meaning of the 1,200 and whatever days is, but to me that says God's in charge of this. And if I want it, God says, to be 1,200 and whatever days, that's what it's going to be. And so the battle doesn't happen. But it does happen beginning in verse 7. Take a look at Revelation 12, verse 7 to 9. Then war broke out. And I think the word then there is key. Then. When is then? Then is when God decides then is then. You know what I mean? And so then war broke out. When God decided that it would happen. Then war broke out. Where? In heaven. This must have been quite a sight. This was way back before the beginning of time. When heaven was. There never was a time when God was not. God always was. And there never was a moment, time, whatever word you want to use, where God won't be. He always will be. And in Christ, by the way, you will be there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There will be no time. And so then, in that moment, way before the beginning of time, war broke out in heaven. Michael, the archangel Michael, a good name for an archangel, by the way, Michael, and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not, the dragon was not, evil was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so God when the time was right, sent in his top angel with the top angels under Michael to get it on. It was time. It was finally time. And a battle royal ensued. The results of which, it seems to me, are sort of good news, bad news. The good news is, is that Michael and his angels won the battle. Now, could they have lost? I guess so. But they didn't. They won. And we see that repeated again and again and again and again through Scripture. Subsequently, God is stronger than evil. Evil is super strong and is determined to kill you in more ways than one. But God is stronger, but there's still this tension and battle ensuing. That's good news. Good one. The bad news is, is that Michael and his army didn't finish him off. And I got to tell you, I really wrestled with that this week. Why, when he had him by the throat, wouldn't he finish him off? Why, even worse, would he cast him down to earth where eventually you would have to deal with him? Like, what the heck is that about? You know what I mean? He won. He could have finished the deal and eradicated evil forever from, from the universe. And instead, he pulls back picks him up and chucks him down to earth where we're dealing with him in December 
of 2018. And, and he's still around. I mean, buy a paper this morning and look. He's still at work around us. So why did he do that? Why would Michael cast Satan and his devils to earth? Well, it seems to me, ultimately, in God's wisdom, he knew there was a whole lot more at stake here and needed to happen than just eradicating the head of the evil one. He knew that eventually you and me, and go way back to Adam and Eve and up through to us, would come along with the ability to do the same thing Lucifer did. You know, the angel of light. Like at one time, pretty awesome. But chose to turn his back on a righteous, perfect God. And look what happened. That one day you and I would come with that same ability to turn our backs on God. And look what's happened. You know what I mean? And so he decided that he would play this out in his own way to not just deal with the head, but to really eradicate evil once and for all. And that he would include you and me in the mix. Not only for our benefit, to be reconciled back to a righteous father, but so that you and I would be involved in helping others find freedom from the evil one. So the battle goes from heaven down here. And people, we're in the thick of it. You know? I mean, we know how the war's gonna work out. We already know the end. We've been privy to that. But the battles rage on. And, and I got to tell you, as one of your pastors, these last couple of weeks, I've been made even more aware of that. And, and you can't be on this planet alive very long without realizing the battles rage on. You know what I'm saying? So why didn't Michael finish things off right there, right then, right, right then? Um, because he needed, there was more to do. It was much more complicated than that. And it involves you, this battle with evil does. And that is where Christmas comes into the story. That's where Christmas comes into the story. It is Christmas, it seems to me, in God's perfect timing, the opening salvo, not in the battle against evil. That, that started way long before the beginning of time. But it is the opening salvo, it seems to me, in many ways, here on earth of the battle. The battle now takes on a whole new level where we are involved, where is born through a human young woman, one who is 100% human and 100% God. And that math doesn't really work out, but it is who he is. He's 100% human and 100% God. The Christmas story, God's opening salvo in the war that the world um, would eventually see the full eradicating of evil from the universe forever. Christmas, I would suggest, is nothing short of a cosmic supernatural D-Day. And to that end, Chuck Colson who has written so prolifically um, about so many things back before he passed away, records well the implications of what Christmas is all about. He wrote in his book, The Faith, it's called The Faith, he wrote a chapter entitled The Invasion, where he describes the invasion of Normandy on D-Day. On that day, 
more than 150,000 troops with over 6,900 vessels and 4,100 landing craft, and on and on, and airplanes and the rest, put together the largest amphibious assault ever the world has and probably ever will see. And even though the war was far from over in that moment, that invasion started things towards the eventual total victory of the Allies. Colson writes, as if preordained, the outcome was clear on that day, the evils of Hitler and fascism would be conquered forever. Colson then goes on to compare the invasion of Normandy with the invasion of God on Christmas Day, and here's what he writes. In one sense, the great invasions of history are analogous to the way in which God, in the great cosmic struggle between good and evil, chose to deal with Satan's rule over the earth, he invaded, but not with a massive logistical support and huge armies, rather in a way that confounded and perplexed the wisdom of humanity. His first move, God's was, was perplexing. And it was just so simple. You know, on that, on that silent night, on that holy night, in a nondescript little smelly barn in the middle of nowhere, God makes his first move. It seemed so insignificant. And yet what was going on behind the scenes was beyond anything we could ever imagine. And the results, the implications of that moment are perfectly described in Revelations 12.10. Revelations 12.10. I would suggest that you write out, especially the first half of Revelations 12.10, and memorize it. Uh, pray over it. Ask for it. Thank God for it. Share it on your Christmas cards if you haven't sent them out yet. Post it up on social media. Explain it when the door opens to you um, uh, when people are wondering what Christmas is all about. Ultimately, that moment in human history led to what is described in Revelation 12, the first half, of chapter 10. And I think heavy on the first word of chapter 10. Now. 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 And this is God talking. He flips from the way back when before the beginning of time and nothing about way down. Now. You just don't see now all that often in Revelation. You know what I mean? But there aren't a lot of verses, even in all of Scripture, like Revelation 12, 10. Now have come, plural. Now have come. What has come now? Now have come the salvation. The salvation from what? The salvation from evil, from, from being uh, uh, in bondage, from habits, from separation from God, from a righteous, perfect God. Salvation from death. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it's captured with this one word, salvation. What does it mean to be saved? More importantly, are you saved? And you know, no one can tell you if you're saved or not, but you, 
only you know. And according to scripture, it means you are, you are, are given to Jesus, that you've given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, to the one who was born in that moment, and that you are secure, you are saved, you are redeemed, you are made new, you are born again. And the question as we lead up to this Christmas is, are you? Now have come the salvation and the power, the power. God is so powerful, and, and you know that. And he is more powerful at every turn than the evil one. And nowhere is that shown more than on Good Friday Easter where it's almost as if, not almost as if, Jesus does. He just lays himself bare with his arms open and says, okay, evil, take your best shot. And he did. I mean, what's a better shot than killing the other person? That pretty much does it. And it's like Jesus goes, that's all you got? And he, he defeats Satan at his best and comes back alive, and walks out of his own tomb, and is alive today. That's how powerful. Jesus is more powerful than the things that scare you the most. And there are a lot of things that scare me. Probably at the top of the list is death. What is that going to be like? That is all of our destiny. And it's so appropriate we worship this morning in the middle of a graveyard. I remember when I first moved here, I thought, this is so weird, you Easterners. Put your churches in the middle of a graveyard. But over the last decades of being here, it just is a reminder that one day I'm going to be out there. But the fact is, Jesus is stronger than even that. Now have come the salvation and the power, even over death itself, and the kingdom of our God, it says in verse 10. This is kingdom stuff. Jesus says, this is how you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth. It's already going on in heaven, but please bring it here. Jesus is the king. We Americans don't know a whole lot about that, but when the king says, it is. When the king is present, the subjects obey. That the kingdom is here, and it's wrapped up in a person, the king, King Jesus. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and finally the authority of the Messiah. The Messiah, the word Messiah is deliverer. He is the authority on this earth. He is authoritative. Even the devils listen to him and obey him. Even the waves of the sea obey him. And so must we. Jesus, the Messiah, the presence among us, the promised one throughout all the Old Testament, the one proclaimed in the Gospels, he is here. He is here. And the one that John records in Revelation, ultimately, he is coming again. He is the authoritative one. And so this Advent season leading up to Christmas 2018, may we, may we really chew on that. And may we come to grips with, though it's recognized the second half of verse 10, that there is an accuser out there. And by the way, that's an awful word, and it's used twice in the second half of Revelations 12, 10. The accuser. He's pointing his finger at you and say, you are guilty. How dare you? You have no right. 
And, and God says, I take that away. That is no more. The fact is, this Christmas season, now, now have come the salvation, the power, the kingdom, and the authority of the Messiah. May we come to grips with that in a fresh new way in this season. And may we discover and know firmly again in the words of that old hymn, that though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we need not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, and what a promise this is, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that word is Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your promises to us that are fresh and new every day, let alone every Christmas season. That you are the one, the promised one. That through you, Jesus, we find salvation and freedom and the power to live. That you, through you, we experience kingdom living in your kingdom as you, the king. And we rest in your authority. We lean into your authority. We are so grateful. And we love you so much. In Christ's name, amen.